thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who always has his presents wrapped a week before Christmas, <laughs> Mike Fantafoka. Uh, thanks, Joe, and thank you once again uh, to everyone who's tuning in, and thank you to our live streamers uh, watching our live stream. They just watched us do the intro twice. <laughs> we, 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 uh, the Spotify iTunes listeners, we didn't hit record, so that's yes. the second time we did this. But uh, no, thank you for tuning in. Uh, don't have a lot of updates. Just a couple things here. Uh, only Patreon shout out is actually my dad, uh, Mark. <laughs> so thank you for uh, supporting us on Patreon. <laughs> we appreciate it. We both appreciate it. Yes, we do. Um, also, I we will probably be taking a little break here, probably until mid or to late January, at least for me. I'm expecting a child in a couple days now. I might have a couple guests lined up to do some some random excellent some spots we'll see we'll see what but uh going on. yeah so we're, we're probably going to be off the at least the next couple of weeks while the holidays are going on so uh joe may be back before me but i'll probably be back in yep. february so and we got andy back in the studio yep thank you for coming back uh this has been an exciting story so <laughs> thanks for having me guys absolutely yeah and we uh we have an exciting show here we actually got the police report for glenn hasselquist so we're going to kind of go through that and andy will kind of maybe maybe give us a little recap of what happened with Gwen and then we'll kind of dive right in the police report. And then finally, uh, once the episode's done, I'll get that police report PDF up on our website. So anyone who wants to go and read through it, uh, can. All right. Without further ado. All right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. Last time, on Locations Unknown, we learned about a suspicious death, a husband who remarried within months to a Kenyan woman who then fled the country with very little coverage of the death and even less information about the supposed story. We submitted FOIA requests to fill in the gaps. Join us this week as we continue to investigate the death of Gwen Hasselquist. All right, gentlemen. So let's <laughs> let's cover kind of what we knew from last time. I know we've all seen the police report, so we kind of have an idea of what's happening now. So last time, and jump in if I got anything wrong. I listened to the whole episode to try and get caught up. So on March 19th of 2020, Gwen was reported missing by her husband. 
Was it the 19th or the 20th he reported her missing? It was like early morning, right? Right. So actually, I don't think uh, the report came from her husband. Um, I, I believe that uh, the police found the vehicle somewhere and approached her husband about a missing vehicle. But, but the first post was him online. The first post is him online Okay. Uh, on the morning of March 20th. Um, but this all Ooh, the, keep your uh, sorry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the whole story sort of uh, takes place over you know the late night hours of uh, March nineteenth into March twentieth, twenty twenty. Okay, so we had the husband posted something that she was missing. He posted the ring video camera that you saw that's been since taken down. That's correct. Where she seemed inebriated of some sort. Yep. Um, he had mentioned that she had taken some drugs. Uh, he said she was desperate because she had been diagnosed with COVID. Um, and you're gonna have to try and forget about the police report while we're recapping because no one else knows about this. Because like I'm saying the things, I'm like, oh, it's all wrong. Um, and so she removed it, and now we got the police report of all of the incidents is kind of wrapping around this story. Yep, that's correct. Okay. Anything else we want to cover? So like to him, it was when we left off, we kind of like thinking he said she died of COVID because that's what he wrote in the obituary. You had made a great point of saying they don't always put the method. Yeah. So I would say that isn't as suspicious as I thought it was the last time, uh, especially with the suicide. A lot of times they'd say, but like a lot of times they'll say an untimely death or yeah, something like right. that. They won't say it. So he did specifically call it COVID as the reason, which was kind of sketch. But yeah, no, I think that we had a lot of unanswered questions when we talked about this last time because the husband or the family had just posted that she died from COVID. Mm -hmm. And obviously we're going to go into the police report, which does completely contradicts <laughs> what we thought. And I think it, it kind of leads us down the path of what we all kind of thought. Uh, but yeah, I think this helps answer a bunch of questions, but I think we, there's still a lot of unanswered questions because the police oh, yeah. report has some... It didn't clear anything up. No, it... It, it, cleared, of, it cleared some things up, but to me, emboldened some of our questions. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, looking back... It, what we did on the initial episode, uh, in all, in all the information kind of came from the family or from Eric Castlequist, what he was posting on. I feel like media. most of it was Eric. Right. And, but the kind of conflicting stories, uh, inconsistencies, a lot of weird things, a lot of questions. Um, some of those weird things got answered in the police report, but as we'll find out, uh, a lot more questions that, that came from it. All right. So what we're going to start with um, is the initial police report from... March 20th. It's a detective's report and the synopsis of this report. And like Mike said, we're going to post this online. So you'll be able to go through it. It's watery water recovery of a deceased female discovered floating in the Puget sound. Uh, the victim's identity was confirmed as a reported missing persons and the next of kin was notified. So this is the, the raw synopsis. I'm going to read through their notes and we'll comment along the way. Yeah. So both you guys interrupt me. If you have something to say or you think something stands out. I'll try and stop too. And then anyone who's watching live, uh, feel free to comment. We may not get to everybody, but uh, throw your information out there and we'll address I'm any, any relative. So awesome. Anyone wants to comment. All right. So here's the narrative uh, from that report. On March 20th of 2020, at about 1,520 hours, so that's 3.20 in the afternoon, I responded to the Stelcom docks at 1 Union Avenue in Stelcom, Washington, concerning a death investigation. Prior to my arrival, I had learned that a kayaker had discovered a deceased female floating in the water and that West Pierce Fire and Rescue had executed a water recovery of the body. I also learned that the husband, Eric E. Hasselquist, had reported his wife, uh, Gwendolyn M. Hasselquist, missing early in the morning 
under PCSD case, and they put the case number, I won't read it out, uh, and that the recovery may be related. So right away here, I mean, this is the first answered question, I think, from the police report. Last time, we really didn't know how Gwen passed away or, you know, there was no information. There's no news reports. Um, not clear what happened. But uh, so this is kind of a bombshell right off the bat. Yes. She, she's found in the water. Yeah. And that leads, uh, you know, we had mentioned some comments on uh, some of the posts that uh, her husband had made and people talking about. Did they say they like about her being, you know, well, there were people who commented like, Hey, I heard your wife got diagnosed with COVID. And oh, one yeah, person yeah. even wrote, I'm sorry for your loss, but with everything that's going on, can you confirmed it? Was it COVID? Was it this? Like someone is asking legitimate questions yeah. again, put yourself in the mindset early pandemic, not a lot of information, not a lot is known. Everyone's still freaking out. Everyone thinks this is going to be the next black plague. It's going to wipe off, you know, 25% of the global population. So yeah. when you have, uh, and I think you brought it up, Andy, that Washington state was one of the first few states that turned into kind of a hotbed. Right. Yep. It was like the first state. That yeah. Area. So you have under probably a hundred Americans total diagnosed with COVID. So you have this guy claiming his wife died of it. So everyone's kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like this has finally come to the United States. People are starting to die. What's happening? Yeah, absolutely. And this is right after kind of right when it hit, right after Tom Hanks was diagnosed, the NBA shut down. Um, all within that that sort of weak range there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uncertainty for sure. So Gwendolyn, a 45-year-old female with brown hair and brown eyes, about 5'4", and slight build of about 100 pounds. She lived with her husband at 14018 98th Street, uh, Court Northwest in Gig Harbor. She was described as having multiple tattoos, such as dolphin on her back right shoulder, uh, a sun on her mid-back, two lizards on her abdomen, and a frog on her right foot. Eric reported that Gwendolyn was belie- was believed she was showing symptoms of having contracted the COVID-19 virus and was despondent after having received uh, recently sought testing at St. Anthony's Hospital in Gig Harbor, Washington. Additionally, <laughs> Eric estimates that approximately 60 pills of Gwendolyn's prescribed clozapam were missing from the home. The family 2009 Chrysler Town & Country minivan uh, was also missing. Clozapam is a benzodiazepine classified as a CNS depressant and is prescribed to treat anxiety. <clears throat> Scratch-like injury on the inside of both the upper and lower lip. No other obvious injury was observed. So this is that initial report that this detective got when he was on scene. Yeah. Of, he knew of a reported missing persons cases um, that matched the description. So he's kind of piecing it together of, oh, this is probably her. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a little bit to unpack here, too. We talked at length in the first episode um, about, you know, what it was like with someone being diagnosed with COVID, um, the treatment they get, um, that that sort of thing. And here we have uh, at least a statement coming from Eric, the husband, that she sought testing, but apparently no treatment. Um and no overnight stay, which seems, uh, you know, a little off for that. I still think that's off. No one knew what was going on to outpatient somebody. I I could be wrong, but I I just remember everybody kind of being like, no, we're putting you in a hospital and you can't have visitors. You can't have any of these people. They were controlling COVID at that point. And to just say, yeah, go home to your family with this unknown disease that everyone's freaking out about just seems very, very odd. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't one of the statements from the husband say that she actually spent time in the hospital? Or am I remembering it wrong? He his tr- his Twitter account said that she had gone to the hospital and he was expecting her to come home. Yeah, 
So that was it. He didn't like get into details. And again, this, what the detective is reading off was the husband's report of this. So if he's telling detectives that she was potentially having COVID, it's not confirmed yet. This is the police report of what he heard from the husband and he's still on this COVID narrative. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like needs to be made clear is we still don't have definitive proof that she even went in for testing. Mm -hmm. We don't know that. This is just still the husband's word that she thought she had it and she went in for testing. Yeah. And that's it. So a set of Chrysler car keys were found in the descendant's pocket. Uh, Decedent. Is that how you say it? Like deceased, but decedent. I believe so. Okay. (laughs) However, there was no wallet or other forms of identification. I noted that the call to 911 came from another witness. Uh, This was redacted in the report at about 1826. So that's uh, 626. I left a voicemail for the requested contact. He called back a couple of minutes after. That witness told me that he was not the kayaker in the water who found the body. However, he observed the situation as he walked nearby. Uh, the witness recognized the floating body and waved to the kayaker for confirmation before calling 911. He said the kayaker and the body were directly west of 1914 Commercial Street. The witness said the kayaker kept his distance from the body the entire time, even during the rescue efforts. He did not observe any concerning circumstances or behaviors from the kayaker, and no one was observed fleeing the scene. The kayaker is at the time unidentified. So that was just him following up to make sure it wasn't related to the guy who was in the water. Yeah. I later submitted a request to to WPF&R, uh, I think that's Fire and Rescue, for a copy of the responding medic's field report. It was noted in the related missing persons report that uh, the investigation had already been requested. I again viewed the Facebook video of Gwendolyn leaving her home. It appeared as though Gwendolyn may have had the observed injury to the back of her left hand prior to leaving the residence. So I think this is key. So he's noting in the video, he thinks he saw the injury that she had on her hand prior to leaving the residence. And that was that Facebook video that Andy, you had mentioned that you had screenshots from. We shared them. That was the ring doorbell. Correct. And that's no longer online. That's been pulled down from. Now they mentioned that in this police report. Did we already? Yeah. So that that's him. He said, I again viewed the video. So he saw it because that was tied to the missing persons case. And he's noticing that he actually saw this injury that was on the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thinks he saw it in that video. Right. I think in, in here it mentions that she um, has a, a cut on her left hand that's one one to two inches long. Yeah. Um, they say that it's it appears like it's in, in the video. And there's actually a, a decent description of the video that kind of meshes up um, with what, what I had viewed uh, when, when it was available on Facebook. And it says, it is immediately apparent that she is dazed or impaired as she struggles to fit the key in the lock. Uh, you know, this occurs for about a minute. Um, so uh, in- interesting that the police saw the video, viewed the video, and, and made these notes, uh, certainly. Yeah, it sounds like a good detective. Like, right. he's, he's like, following up on all, like, it could be like, oh, this was obvious, but he's checking on the kayaker. He's checking, he's looking, looking at the video again, looking for anything that might be off. Uh, he wrote, he, he continues, I was unsuccessful in saving the video at the time using my department phone. I captured the video of the Facebook post in several screenshots. These video and images were later transferred to CD and submitted to into property at uh, PSSD headquarters. The case will remain active pending the ME's postmortem examination report. Detective D. Christensen. So he's got the video. I think he may, whether it was a screenshot or whatever, he was able to download it. So that's in evidence. We didn't get that from the FOIA request. We just no. got these reports. We didn't get any documents other than this police report. Okay. <clears throat> so 
this is the next report, uh, the forensics investigator. So the forensics guy who came on scene. He writes, uh, on scene, uh, March 20th, uh, 2020, at 15, uh, 1,520 hours, so that's at 320, I was contacted by South Sound 911 dispatch and requested to respond to one Stelcom Boulevard regarding this death investigation. At 15, uh, 1,550 hours, I arrived and established contact with Detective Christensen, who further explained the incident to me. Now, Detective Christensen was just the first report that we just read. Mm-hmm. The scene consisted of a female body that was in the back of the West Pierce medic vehicle. West Pierce Fire had recovered this female from the water of the Puget Sound prior to my arrival. This female was wearing multicolored pants, a black and pink jacket over tan sweater, and a black shirt. Her left upper arm appeared to be broken. Uh, A-T-Z-E-T-M-E-32 arrived and took possession of the body. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think that's his medical examiner tag, Maggie. I'm guessing Emmy is medical examiner. And at Zet, whatever. I'm assuming that's just whatever that department talk is. Uh, I exposed multiple digital images of the scene using a Nikon D3300 set on autofocus with a Nikon DXAFS Nikkor 18 to 55 millimeter F1 by 3 G2 or DXAFS Nikkor 55-200 millimeter. I'm going to skip the rest of it. You get the idea. He's explaining the camera he used. <laughs> he used a fine resolution format at 13.5 uh, megapixel sizing. The built-in auto flash or attached speed light was utilized as needed dependent on ambient light availability. Images were captured on a 2-gigabyte compact flash card and transferred to the case image server. I cleared the scene at 17.30 hours. Uh, Anderson, he puts his number, forensic investigator. So basically he says he's got the, the report from Detective Christensen. He took a bunch of photos with his cameras, transferred it into evidence, and cleared the scene, essentially. <clears throat> So now I have a narrative from the report on March 24th. I think this is Detective Christensen again. Let me look at the end. Yes, this is Detective Christensen again a few days later, March 24th, 2020. On 324, 2020, I received the request requested medic field report from the West Pierce Fire and Rescue. The field report indicated that fire and rescue dispatch time was at 1419 hours and arrived on scene was at 1427 hours. An official time of death was noted at 1,507 hours by Dr. Hersing at Good Samaritan Hospital. The field report was downloaded, transferred to CD, and submitted into property at the PCSD headquarters. At about 1,115 hours, I phoned WSP and requested a copy of Trooper Knox's collision report and any related documentation regarding his investigation prior to the recovery of the descendant. I was provided contact information for Trooper Knox and the WSP Public Disclosure Office. I sent the request to both contacts via department email. I was provided a CAD readout of the WSP incident and Trooper Knox later supplied me with documents related to his investigation. Such documents included an incident report, a type statement from Assistant Gig Harbor PD Officer Irwin, an impound form, and several scene photos of the involved vehicle. So now he's talking about this crash vehicle report. The Chrysler which, minivan. Exactly, which yeah. we knew nothing about. Trooper Knox documented that he was dispatched to a 2009 Chrysler Town & Country parked mid-span of the Narrows Bridge eastbound around 017 hours. So this is 1217 in the morning yeah. on March 20th. So this is <clears throat> after that ring video occurred. After the ring video occurred. Yep. Yeah, when uh, the actual video occurred. Yep. Not when it was posted on social media, when the recording occurred. Right. 
The caller reported observing broken glass in the roadway and a black male near the vehicle. Trooper Knox arrived at 020 hours, so that's 1220 in the morning on the 20th, and contacted Demetrius C. Jackson as he was reaching into the vehicle. I think this is the first uh, the first bombshell here from from the report, right? Uh, yes. Uh, Eric Castlequist is definitely not a black male, um, and we see that with this uh, Demetrius Jackson, who happened to be at the scene of what appears to be an accident with the with the van reaching into it as the officer arrives. Yeah. Plus, if you look at this bridge, and what we'll do is I'll pull it up on Google Earth because I have these saved. It's not a small bridge, so like, right. why is this guy in the middle of the bridge at midnight? Right. Yeah. Basically, there. So. So Demetrius' behavior was erratic as issues of both alcohol and mental health was suspected. He claimed to have been offered a ride by a female driver in the minivan, and he asserted that there was another passenger in the back of the car. That's the bombshell. Right. The female stopped the car, got out, and gifted Demetrius the vehicle. Officer Irwin documented that he contacted the minivan's registered owner, Eric E. Hasselquist, at home around 0.53 hours, so 12.53 in the morning, Eric maintained that his wife, Gwendolyn Hesselquist, was home and with him, and he was noticeably unfazed when advised his vehicle had been stolen. Right. So so we have this guy who's posting his wife's missing. When the officer calls him and says, I have your van mid-span, he said, I'm home with my wife. Not, I'm at home and my wife's not here. He asserted that he was with her. Right. Absolutely, and and it's I think it's interesting that they note uh, that he was noticeably unfazed. Uh, uh yeah, it, your car's been stolen. Oh, okay, right, right. <laughs> in the middle of the night, the police knock on your door. Your car's been stolen and found at the bridge, and and uh, you're unfazed by that. Yeah, well, and I, so I don't know if he went to his house. Oh, it just sure. says he contacted sure. my my. Th- I guess he could have. My thought process was he got his contact information and called him. So, so I think it, it, there's a little bit, it, it, we'll get to it in the police report, but there is mention about him not confirming um, that Gwen Hasselquist was in the house at the time. Um, so I, I don't know. If well, he, he reported her missing. Right. And he's saying to this officer that he's with her. Right. So that's like already contradiction of he reported her missing. The ring camera that he posted was earlier than this incident. And he's like, no, I'm at home and she's here too. Right. And the, the timing uh, part of this, I think, is, is important. So this seems to be the very first contact with Air Castlequist. My wife's here with me, unfazed by by the van being missing. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, that, that changes uh, throughout the timeline here. So going on, after that, Eric reported last seeing his vehicle around 2,200 hours on March 19th. So that's 10 o'clock, March 19th. Eric showed a doorbell camera video of Gwendolyn leaving the house around 2,219 hours. Eric insisted she returned home after. However, there is no video of her doing so. Officer Irwin did not verify that Gwendolyn was home with Eric. Stated uh, As Eric stated, he believed his wife was positive for COVID-19. So, again, we are now in the case where he's putting on Facebook that she's missing. He's telling the officer that he's with her because he said she came home after that video. And he's immediately jumping to, she thought she was COVID-19 positive. Mm -hmm. So speculative Joe says he's (laughs) trying to continue to play the COVID-19 narrative, COVID-19 narrative to help cover it up. That's like, you guys all know my stance on this thing. So like, I'm going to try my hardest to be unbiased and continue to go down this path of maybe it's not that. 
Yeah. But I, I think it's, it's, it's not looking good. So far, he's lying to the police about what's actually happening. He's lying about his wife being there when she's not. Yeah. And then he's immediately jumping to, uh, the, oh, well, and she thinks she has COVID. Like, it's not really relevant to your van being found on the mid-span of a bridge. Smashed up. Exactly. Right. It's not relative to what he's talking about. And so, it's, to me, that's like a mind who's got, I have my story, and I need to make sure I'm always driving everybody in the direction of my narrative, my story of what's happening. So, he had to, like, throw that in there, even though it's not related. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, reading this, there there seems to be some gaps in this narrative on on the police report. I mean, it, it sounds like this is one instance of the officer Irwin contacting Eric. Um, so this all happens. First, your van's missing. Is your wife there? Yes, she's here. She left earlier. Here's a video of her leaving, but she returned after that. Uh, but she's still in the house at, at that time. It, well, and then he's posting on social media that that's the last time he saw her. On right. his social media posts, this is the last thing I've, this is the last video I have of my wife. That's what he posted. Right. But then he's telling the officer that he said she for sure came back home. Right. Right. So there's some inconsistencies there. There's, there's, we there's know a there lot is, of right? inconsistencies <laughs> there. Absolutely. All right. So I'll continue. <clears throat> so officer Irwin notified trooper Knox that the minivan was unreported an unreported stolen vehicle. Demetrius was taken into custody at the scene. Post Miranda, Demetrius amended his story and claimed that he was not picked up by the female. He said the female in the minivan was unresponsive when he told her not to park on the bridge. Demetrius walked towards Jackson Avenue, but returned to check on the vehicle and its occupants. So he is like stating that there's two people. But of course, with this story, he also seemed like he may have been drunk and had some mental health issues. So you can't, like, if I'm going to be consistent and try and be truthful, his testimony really doesn't, you can't take it as like sound. It's yeah. a drunk guy with mental health issues on a bridge, but he's very positive. There's another passenger. He's saying he went to check on the occupants. He's going there, assuming there was two people in that van. Right. And I think in these couple sentences here, there's just kind of three things that, that jump out to me. First, uh, we have post Miranda. So this is a Miranda warning was giving, given to Demetrius, which means, you know, he was under custodial interrogation, perhaps arrested for something. Yeah, it says um, he was taken into custody, so I don't know if that means he was actually handcuffed or at least just brought there. You're the lawyer. Does right. that Could that mean he was just like, hey, sit down? Yeah, I mean, you could be invited into custody, but the moment okay. that you're not free to leave and they begin They give you, you your Miranda rights at right, that point. Right, so yeah. we know it got to that point, right? And what this was for, um, it, it remains a question because – you know, was it a breaking and entering sort of thing? Did they suspect that he was involved in uh, the missing person's case? Um, kind of unclear there. You know, the Well, same- you think there's a guy on a bridge with a car that's been in an accident. It's parked in the middle of a bridge, and it's the only guy there. Right. So that's suspicious. So I, I don't see any fault in them. Like, all right, this guy might be involved somehow. Yep. They're coming in completely blind. Absolutely. No, it, it, and it completely makes sense there. Um, the other thing, and you, you just hit it, Joe, is... This says that he approached um, Gwen about not being able to park the vehicle there. Uh, but what we have is a description of a single vehicle accident. I know there's um, somewhere in the report there's information about the windows of the, the vehicle being blown out. Um, and it, it's just Yeah, they said there's phrasing. broken glass all over the place. So, like, it right. had some sort of an accident of some sort. Right. And it's I just find it interesting that we're talking about parking the vehicle, right? This, yeah. If, if there was an accident here on the bridge, it, I, that wouldn't be the word I would use to describe where the vehicle is, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. And 
the the third thing here, and, and we'll see it throughout, is that you know it notes that Demetrius amended his story. Um, we're, we're talking about the the substance and and mental health issues, but I think there's three, maybe four different stories that seem to come from him, and uh, so you got to take each one with a grain of salt. But definitely interesting that. One of the stories is there was someone in in the vehicle as well. Well, and that's the one thing I noticed, and we'll go through this. It it the there's consistency among those stories, and I was I was a uh, not a paramedic an EMT for a while, and we were taught, and you uh, after time I did it for about four years. After time, you start to understand what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe. Okay. And when there's people telling stories, and the stories are changing, you can always find consistencies among their different stories to find the nugget of truth. And the one thing he is consistent on amongst the stories is that there was definitely not one person there. He's not 100% sure. Again, I got to play devil's advocate. It's a drunk guy with potential mental health issues. Um, but he's always referencing more than one person. Right, right. And I think there is one one moment where he kind of recants on that. But there's definitely, you know, what we're looking at is uh, uncertainty on that for sure. Absolutely. So after they said, Demetri, this is... Uh, Demetrius telling the officer what he did. He said he walked towards Jackson Avenue, but the return to check the vehicle and its occupants. He noticed a dark figure over the guardrail, which then disappeared. He could not say the, the figure was female driver or if she had in fact jumped off the bridge. Demetrius assumed she had jumped. He maintained that the minivan was a gift because I thought it was her last dying wish. So he just thought he was getting a free car out of this whole thing. Which is, right. a, a, I mean, that alone, I don't know, that's kind of weird. Uh, Ah, uh, drunk guy, like, I'm guessing maybe homeless, mental health issues. I guess. Like, he's looking at it like, this is my car. She said it was mine. Like, it's <laughs> mine. Like, I could see that. Uh, downtown Milwaukee, somebody would totally do that. Yeah. Like, if car's sure. sitting there and there's no one around, be like, yeah, they said I could have it. Like, right. opportunity strikes. Well, and I think he's maybe backtracking a little bit, too. If, he, if he's been arrested or he's at least being interrogated here and it's, you know, I wasn't stealing it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't do anything wrong. That's a great point yeah. to say, like, hey, 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 this I didn't crash this. I wasn't stealing it. This was a gift. Right. Yep. Uh, but he didn't even have the keys because it was on her body. Right. <laughs> All right. So Trooper Knox later learned that Gwendolyn had been reported missing. Demetrius was released from custody. Demetrius ID'd Gwendolyn from her uh, Washington uh, license image as a female he had interacted with on the bridge. So he did confirm that they showed him an image of her, and he said, yes, that's who I interacted with. Right. Eric's image was also shown to Demetrius. However, he did not know him. So he's saying there were two people. He recognized Gwen, did not recognize Eric's image. So the officer did a great job of like, hey, this is her husband. Was this the other person that you saw with? He could not confirm that. He didn't know him. And, and another thing here that I, I think is interesting as well is we have that um, Gwen was reported missing. Uh, it doesn't say who reported her missing. I mean, I think the, the presumption is that it was Eric. Uh, but we know from the timeline that first, you know, officer, I think it was Irwin, or Knox um, had asked Eric if his wife was home, and he says, yes, she's home. He leaves without confirming, See, and this, now... Yeah, now he's missing? Now she's missing, and presumably Eric was the one that reported her missing. Uh, what changed in that time? Yeah, we're talking like an again. hour right. of all this happening, of him making contact with the car, contacting the owner, saying, you know, I'm home, my wife's home with me. Uh, yeah, she left in this ring video, but she totally came back, she's here, but now he's tying it to a missing person. Right. So like this is not adding up, and it's such a small amount of time that occurred. It's not like did he wake up and then oh, oh she's missing. I'm gonna report it officially now. Yep. It's 
it's a little shady. And whether or not the officer was, you know, coming to the house or calling um, Eric, it, are you not confirming that everyone is in your house when your vehicle is reported missing? You know, we found your yeah. vehicle somewhere. Seems like the first step you would take is well, making sure. Think about it. We're all married. If you get woken up at midnight and it's a police officer saying your van is smashed up in the middle of a bridge, like, you know, a few minutes from your house, and we have a report that your wife was involved and she's no longer here, I'm going to freak out. Like, yeah, I'm yes. going to I'm gonna freak out. I'm not going to be calm unless she's, even if she's right next to me, I'll be like, oh, thank God she's right here, but why is my van there? And his report was he seemed unfazed right. by any of that communication. That is a huge red flag. That either he's guilty or a huge sociopath, which yeah. even then, like, if you're a sociopath, it's like, who stole my car? Like, like I don't know. That's just, everything's not lining up here. And, I mean, devil's advocate or to, to play fair, it's the middle of the night. You know, there are surprises. It could be, it, it's hard to s- attribute an attitude to Eric at this time. You know, being unfazed is maybe just not comprehending the situation, right? But I think it's important that this the whole unfazed language is completely contradictory to what we see on social media afterwards, right? Uh, he's showing great concern for his wife. He immediately posts a video of her missing, mm-hmm. asking for help finding her. Um, that's not someone who's unfazed. So, Could you pull up the images from Facebook while we're just talking to see if there's timestamps and when he posted, like, she's missing, she's gone, just to see what day it was or even relatively what time? Like, did that all start posting after this whole thing unfolded, he's like trying to start make a story or was it like, was he posting before? Hey, she's missing and I yeah. can't find her. I'd love to know that. I just, I, I know I saved it on our Facebook page. So the images are there, but I mean, most of the posts are still up on his Facebook live too. So, yeah, I mean, I really get the impression that he fled the country. Um, cause he was very active on social media. Uh, you know, up until probably earlier. What, what gave you that impression? The quote that I'm leaving the country. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but uh, I mean, and he his posts kind of just dry up. Um, you know, so I think. Yeah, he went dark. Spring of this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I do. So I do have uh, up at least the video of the ring video that was posted. And it's uh, it's from like 5.45 a.m. Um and so we're talking on, on, the, on 20th, the 20th, right? Okay, so, so after all this craziness occurred, he makes a post that this is the last I've seen her. Sure. So it's in between. He's told the first contact is at 12.53 a.m. on the 20th. Yes. The post of the video and then kind of the flurry of social media posts occur in the early morning hours of the 20th. Uh, but the body wasn't found until that afternoon yes so that's kind but of where it fits in the- he posted that saying this is the last time i saw her he just told the police officer at midnight that she left and came back right so if he's saying granted it's social media right. so again i'm gonna try and play devil's advocate he could have just said this is the last time i actually saw her maybe he thought he saw her and he was sleepy or whatever and thought she was home and he was just in a daze because he was tired okay but he told the officer that she did leave and that he was sure she came back. And then in the morning post, he's saying, this is the last I've saw- seen her. Right. So that already, or, or right there contradicts what he's telling police versus what he's posting on social media. 
and and we touched on this a bit in uh, in part one, but shortly thereafter, shortly after he posts the video of uh, of Gwen and asks for help finding her, we have a post um, from seven thirty a.m. So two hours later, today I've watched the sunrise, knowing that likely my love didn't get to see it. I am broken, um, and so this is before bodies found. Um, shortly, you know, it's within seven hours of the police first contacting him. And it's a pretty, um, pretty big change in, in kind of attitude, at least from what we're seeing on, on social media. That is a great point because you said he posted like 5 a.m. The video, the video is at, at 5:46. So uh, only like an hour later, he's like, oh, she's probably dead. Right. Like he basically has just learned, like if, if we're to believe that he's not involved, he learned that she had gone missing around one in the morning at five in the morning or five 55. So like it's basically 6 AM. He's posting the social media that she's missing. Have you seen her? And then an hour later, like, Oh, she's dead. Like she didn't make it. Like he gave up hope pretty dang quick for somebody who doesn't know what happened. Yeah. I think, uh, it's hard to know what was communicated to him too. So, um, you know, we have Demetrius, um, the individual who's reaching into the vehicle. He's been interrogated, um, perhaps arrested, and he's saying that he saw a figure disappear off the bridge. So, you know, this could have been communicated to Eric by the police at some point in time that, hey, there was a witness there who says your your wife disappeared from from the bridge. But there's also a lot but then of Then why does he post, she's missing, has anyone seen her at 5 a.m.? That's Or that's 6 a.m. That's, that's right. like, I agree with you. He, he probably was informed of at least the witness testimony. Yep. But then again, I would say, okay, he's if he's totally informed, he then posts on social media that contradicts everything he should know, or everything he told the police, and then an hour later has basically said, "Yep, she probably didn't make it. This is this is over." And you know, Joe, you've been putting yourself in kind of his shoes here, and we have if it's communicated that we found your van, your wife's missing, um, we've arrested an individual, or we're interrogating an individual who is reaching into the van. I mean, we can't find your wife. What, I mean, what's your first thought in that situation? That she was attacked and potentially someone murdered her. Right. Yeah. I, I'd be like, like I would be on the bridge. I'd be like, where are you? Where's my van? I'm coming there, like, right now. Like, because I'd be panicking because it's my wife, and they've been married for at least 13 years. Yeah. Right. Like, that's, I, I just had my 15-year anniversary. Like, she is my world. Like, if something like that happened, I would be in a pure panic. And I'm a pretty calm guy. But, like, <laughs> if I woke up to that call, I would be freaking out. Yeah. And here's the deal. Like you said, he noted that he was noticeably unfazed. That is a police officer saying noticeably unfazed. They see lots of crap. If he's commenting on a police report noticeably unfazed, that means it rubbed him weird. And that's where these types of guys, especially detective, there's a lot of hunches you have for how much, you know, even if he's new. It's he, he noticed something strong enough to put it in the official report. Otherwise, that's an innocuous thing to put on a, a police report. Well, and, you know, I've seen enough, uh, enough of those TV kind of, shows. You're going to go. <laughs> yeah. Enough of those Law TV shows. No, like the, uh, what the, is it? The like, real ones, like yeah, cops. The first 48 hours. Or, okay. Where they're doing real case, not actors. It's real police, real cases. It's real yeah. cl- cases. And one of the kind of themes is when someone is you know, guilty of murder, they, they do act. You don't, you don't have to hide it. You can pour it on the table. <laughs> We're having whiskey. It's fine. This uh, podcast is not made for kids. I yeah. Yeah. 
All right, sorry, Michael. No, no, I, I lost my completely lost my train I'm sorry. of thought. But uh, you're yeah. watching the first forty eight. No, it's just like when uh, you know the detectives in those shows make comments like, "Oh, his uh, daughter just died, and he seemed unfazed." Like that is kind of a a tell. I mean, yeah, <laughs> most normal people are going to be just distraught if. If someone goes missing. If I found out you died, like you're not my family, but we've been <laughs> friends for a long time. Like I would be very distraught. I would. Like, I would hope so. I, but I'm just saying like, we're not blood related. Yeah. Like we're not like, you're not my child. You're not my wife. And I would be like, if someone called I'm me. not like, your man child. If somebody called me like and said, <laughs> Mike just died. His car's crashed in the bridge. Yeah. I would probably go out because you're, yeah. you've been a friend of mine for what? 20 years. Yeah. Like I would be, I would be phased by that. Yeah. So, like, now you're taking it up a whole nother notch of this yeah. guy's wife, the, you know, the mother to his children, and he's noticeably unfazed. That is a huge red flag. And the interesting part about this is this detective is making this, uh, you know, he's noting this before any of the future social media posts. Yeah, he doesn't that, know anything. That we're talking about because um, if you take the, the detective's comments and put it in the context of all of the other stuff Eric was posting – that to me is a big red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and we're we're on assumption now, so I'm going to assume a detective comes on scene of a car in the middle of Bridge Park. There's this guy reaching in the car, yeah, and this lady who's reported missing. Did, like, have you gotten to the point of the police report where they they say one of the people or the detective or somebody said they thought they saw a third person in the van? Yeah, that was Demetrius. Yes, so that's where, but he was potentially Sorry, drunk. I've been, uh, Nope, yep, no, that's Working fine. a stream while you're yeah. doing some of this. <laughs> so that's, that's Demetrius, and that's where, like, again, like, nothing's easy with this case. Like, yeah. no, like we can't have, like, a coherent guy who just happened to be jogging in the middle of the night because that's what he does, and he was sober, and he's a normal person. No, it's a guy who might have mental issues, smelled like alcohol, saying there was multiple people, and then his story changes. Like That is interesting because if you had a credible witness who saw a third person in the van, that would be very damning evidence. I think so. But you have kind of a an alcoholic drug addict. Exactly. Guy with and that's why I'm trying to be fair. Like everyone knows my opinion. If you listen to this episode, you know <laughs> what I think. So I'm trying to really try hard to look at this objectively. Yeah. So I look at that as like if I wasn't looking at it objectively, I'd be like, that guy saw two other people. That was her husband with her. Yeah. That's what I thought of immediately. And then in the police report, he's like, I can smell alcohol. There might be mental health thing there. He's saying she gave him the van. Uh he did confirm when he was saw the picture that it was her. I'm assuming the officer didn't lead him and just said, hey, do you recognize this person? He's like, yeah, that's the lady. This is These are assumptions now because it's not written in here. So yeah. I'm going to continue. So the images of the minivan showed extensive damage down the passenger side of the vehicle. All passenger side windows appeared blown out or missing. Neither the WSP report nor the impound sheet indicated any inventory of the vehicle. The related WSP documents were transferred to a separate CD and submitted into property. Uh, this was Detective Christensen. Again, this was a few days later that he's writing this report about the from Trooper Knox's uh, report of this car accident mid-bridge. And one thing here that um, is another open-ended question from this report is, you know, where did the accident occur? What exactly happened? I mean, to have um, the windows blown out or missing, it, it has to be a pretty severe impact, but we're not noting that it occurred on the bridge. Uh, yeah, that's in, true. In yeah. That's nowhere. where the vehicle was at rest. They said there was glass on the ground. Right. And this is again, my non-professional opinion. I don't know, but it seemed like maybe it was a side swipe of some sort because it was the passenger windows, all the windows. So like maybe again, if she's on, if, if we're to believe she took a bunch of clozapam, uh, 
inebriated, maybe sideswiped the bridge rail. That's what I'm imagining is like maybe sideswiped the bridge rail, scraped along it, blew the windows out, came to a stop, and just got out of the car. Right. That's my assumption of what occurred. And I know you have a map to bring up uh, as we progress, but I, I think that's a fair assumption. But I think, you know, we need to look at this report, and there's reasons that everything is in here. It's here for a reason. They're using, you know, words that stick out to them. There's meaning to this. Um, but I think we also need to look at what's not in there. And it's just weird, a little weird to me that it doesn't say that there was an accident on the bridge. We responded to a single vehicle accident. Um, but where where did this occur? Uh, and, yeah. You know, it, it does sound like it happened on the bridge. Yeah, but, but there's no uh, confirmation. No confirmation, just that there's glass and windows <laughs> missing, you know. I feel like if 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 she would have hit another vehicle, um, there would have been mention of that in the police report. That you cer- certainly. Yeah, well, yeah, some other person would have been driving unless yeah. they were drunk and like wanted to Spent get away. Off a hit and run. Yeah, and it was like both people were inebriated and one person got away. My guess is maybe she sideswiped a piece of the bridge. That's what or, I think. I yeah. think it's a sideswipe of guardrail, and it said it was passenger side, so it wasn't yeah. like her side. So my guess is she's inebriated driving uh, on these pills. Yep. Um, or now if I'm going to go down my route of, I think he did it. Was she like fighting with him in the car? Was he mm-hmm. like forcibly causing something to happen? Yeah. Well, and, and we'll see this later, but why did the accident, if it, if, it, if it occurred at the bridge, why did it occur there? What happened at that point in time that an accident was caused, um, you know, enough to blow out the windows. See, we get car. more information, just more questions. <laughs> I know. More right? questions. So now we're going to go to, this isn't the medical examiner's report. Uh, this is the detective's read of the report. So he's putting in his own report saying that he read it. So <clears throat> on 8-25 of 2019, uh, he put 19. I think that was just a misprint because that's I copied this directly. Yeah. I received and reviewed the postmortem examination report of Gwendolyn M. Hesselquist. The examination was conducted by Pierce County Medical Examiner Dr. Thomas Clark on 3-23 of 2020. Uh, the ME report indicated the following. Cause of death, multiple traumatic injuries due to fall. Manner of death, suicide. Additionally, clozapam, a schedule uh, for benzodiazepine derivative, was detected into the descendant's blood. The ME report was submitted into property at the PCSDHQ. This investigation will be cleared, exceptionally, exceptional resolved. So, I have an issue with this, of someone who's not a... Uh, expert at this, so I will admit that, and I'm sure everyone knows that. Um, you mentioned that clozapam was in the blood. Didn't say it was at any type of lethal level. Yeah. Uh, it is a benzodiazepine, so it can definitely affect... I do know stuff about drugs because I helped start a drug testing company. Phyllis, uh-huh. uh, us non-drug drug people, what is that? Does that make you tired? So it can... <clears throat> it's like one of the drugs that says do not operate heavy equipment. Okay. Like it can make you kind of punch drunk. So like, like if it, it, it will make you people, like, it's if, like drinking and driving. If you took like a Benadryl and then tried to drive an hour if, later. If this is if you took a lot of Benadryl. Okay. <laughs> like it's a little bit more like, so it's a schedule four drug. So it's a little bit, it's not over the counter. You is, can't, is it's strong one. The worst. Yeah. Okay. So it's, <laughs> it's, you can't get it over the counter. It's got to be prescribed, and it can't affect yeah. you. So, like, her inability to put the keen lock, is, she probably did take too many of these things. Yeah, like, it's an antidepressant. Yeah, it was yeah. it was anxiety they'll give it for. Okay. Um, that would be why she was unable to do that. Um, it's If he's noting that it was in her system, yeah, it's probably not enough to kill her. Mm-hmm. So, if she's saying she took 60 pills, 
she would have probably not made it to the bridge. Yeah. Um, without knowing her dosage or whatever, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of anything yep. that you can that you can take. And so, I think that's where, you know, once again, there's more questions here. Is what was the level of the drug at this time? I mean, to me, if she's prescribed to this drug and it's a, a daily, you're taking it daily, and maybe you know you're self medicating a little bit, and you took two pills or three pills, and that might still be in your blood when the autopsy is performed, right? But um, sixty pills is a, a quite a different story. Um, well, and we're supposed to believe she OD'd on it because she was disp- uh, like distraught from her COVID nineteen diagnosis. Which then we're also hearing that she had some injury on her hand that's seen in the video when she's leaving. She seems kind of despondent when she's leaving. So, like, did she take the pills because of that, or did she take the pills because of something else? Right. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of the unknowns that are occurring. And and uh, circling back on what what you had mentioned earlier, we have. Um, no inventory of the van was taken. We have inventory of her person. Yeah. So somehow we are told that there's 60 pills missing. You know, is that a bottle that's missing? Um, if so, where where's the bottle of pills? Or how did we get to this number? And Yeah, uh, if you're taking two a day, that's a month's supply of medication. Right. That's I, a lot. I think we're missing a key. We're, we're probably missing the medical examiner's report because they would have examined the contents of her stomach. Yeah. And I'm assuming. Do you want to talk about what, because you did the FOIA. You want to just tell the listeners kind of what you got and what we didn't get? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I I requested the FOIA report through, um, this part of Washington State has a a system where you can request FOIA reports from multiple different agencies through one request. Okay. So, I requested uh, this, I requested any document related to, I, I supplied her full name and date of birth. And a rough time frame of what, you know, I, I gave like a, I think I tried like a week, like, you know, at least so seven like days. Anything with her name from any, any department. I requested any document from the departments that are represented by this system for Gwen Hasselquist. So and does that include DOT, uh, the police department, fire department, medical It examiner? would include anything that one of those police departments would have in their system. So okay. police report. I don't know that a medical examiner's report would, uh, you know, show up in that. I don't. Okay. That might be a different uh, department that we would have to request that from. And I don't know if they release those or not. Have you gotten denials from any of those or are you just still waiting on? I'm still waiting. So this is all they they supplied and it it took a while. It took several weeks and uh, no explanation of. Um, this is all you're getting, or there could be more stuff or, you know, it's just, this, here you go. I got an email that said <laughs> your, your request has been updated. And then I logged in and this PDF was attached with no explanation or like, this is all we're giving you or anything. This is, this is, it was just like there. Sure. <laughs> so, okay. well, there's uh, certainly more information out there that I think will go further to answer these questions. I mean, we, it talks about the, the fire and rescue arriving at the scene. There should be some report. Yeah, they'll there. have a report for, for a body recovery, 100%. I did cold water rescue for the fire department for a while. If we had a body recovery, I would have had a lot of things to write so down. So I think, I think another avenue that we should try is maybe requesting, a, do a FOIA request with the fire department. Yeah. And maybe the, uh, I'll have to see if those departments are even available to request. If not, I can go through a different avenue and, Probably the uh, coroner's office. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So I think coroner would be the biggest. I think the fire department will just get more details on what the body recovery was like and what they their initial read on the situation when they arrived on scene. And like the DOT, we talked about the DOT cameras. I can't remember. It was either a listener or something I read 
but it, it basically said that in Washington State, um, DOT cameras delete the footage thir- after 30 days unless there's, I believe, a court order that requires them to pull that footage and save it. So, okay. so we might have to assume that that's been lost. We might have to assume that, uh, you know, at the time of this investigation, if it wasn't a criminal investigation, they may not have had any reason to... Well, there's, n- there's nothing in this report that's... Because they noted when they say videos, to s- like the yeah. ring video saved a CD, they didn't note anything about DOT cameras. At least yeah, that I so read. I'm going to read through it again while we're going through it. If I missed it, yeah, I'll pick and up a, on it. a couple people actually commented um, on our original episode that live out there, and, like, this is a major bridge. There's definitely cameras all over it. So, like... Okay. It would have recorded the van, you know, going, you know, across the bridge and potentially hitting a guardrail or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um there, sh- there was at some point video footage of whatever happened. Um, this is what's great about having lots of fans. Yeah. They're like everywhere. They give us information. It's kind of nice. I know. Yeah. They yeah, need to. Uh, anyone listening, once this makes it to Apple or uh, Spotify, you got to get on our live stream. Yeah. I think, Mike, <laughs> I think that footage is really key. I mean, yeah. we talk about it, it. It's pretty apparent that the police did not review that. And if there is footage, that could go a long way to one which of Demetrius's stories are accurate and what yeah. exactly happened. I mean, what the real value I think in this police report is that we know her death occurred at the bridge, right? So yeah. we know where it happened. Mm-hmm. This is a busy bridge. It looks like it, there's a toll road there. Um, there. If there's video footage, you know, that might go a very long way to answering these questions that we still have. And yeah. And if someone actually murdered her by, you know, pushing her off the bridge and the, the vehicle that she was in was left there and it's a toll bridge. That means there's evidence or there at one point, it may be deleted now, especially that time of people like there's probably video of Demetrius going there. Yes. Like whoever was with her would have to leave who, you know, if, if, you know, air quotes, somebody pushed her off the bridge, you've got to believe that there's footage of somebody walking off the bridge or uh, if it's a toll booth, you got to know that they're going to have, they take a every time you go through that booth, like at least in Illinois. Well, um, let's assume they're on foot, like because well, we talked about how he's a runner. Or, we assumed he's a runner. Or, like there'd be a video of even if you don't see yeah. the act of him leaving the area on foot, or even if he was in another car, you're gonna see when they go through that toll booth, they take a picture of the license plate and the person, the, the, the two people in the front of the car will be on that picture. Yeah. So, it's the only thing I can think of is they weren't this wasn't a criminal investigation at the time. So they just, the evidence maybe at that time was suicide and, you know, probably any police department is probably, you know, they've got a lot of stuff they got to take care of, you know, if especially this, during COVID when everything's yeah. crazy in and the beginning. Nuts. Yeah. It. And when, the medical examiner's like, all right, is she obviously jumped off a bridge, whatever. Yeah. Like, and I'm the, not going to look too much into this. Yeah. And you know, they just like, all right, it's a suicide. Let's, that we can't spare detective time in hunting down DOT footage and, you know, toll booth footage. Yeah, this, like we can't, we can't pass up on the idea of what was going on yeah. at the time. Right. Everything's shut down. Everyone's home. Everyone's confused. Everyone's scared. No, like it's, it's, and I mean, it's a new if, pandemic. Everyone if, doesn't know what's happening. If this would have been a criminal investigation from the start, you would have detectives going house to house, but like, Hey, do you have any, do, do any, any of you have ring cameras? Do you have, you know, like a, a Nest camera that watches your house, like any kind of security footage that would have showed the road so we could like see like exactly when sure. she left. And I just think, yeah, probably 
they just weren't treating this like a criminal investigation. They resources are limited, and they're just like, yep, suicide. All right, you know. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. I I've been kind of trying to maintain the stream a little here, but I don't know if you've gotten into the final. Oh, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I got a whole the whole last report right here. Yeah. So this one was on August 25th, 2020. So this is a uh, a few months after the fact. Uh, the synopsis is labeled as additional investigation. So this to me, and you'll see it at the end, but this is obviously not necessarily sitting right with the detective. So he wrote in the narrative. Please note for consideration that during the course of this investigation, a number of family, friends, and citizens familiar with Gwendolyn came forward with concern that her death was not an act of suicide. In brief summation, it was related, relayed to me that Gwen had recently confronted her mother about historical sexual abuse as a child by a male parental figure. So this is Gwen going to her mom like she was potentially abused as a child herself. Yeah. She was known to be in therapy and was doing well. Gwen was reforging old familial bonds, expressed a positive and optimistic outlook in life, and was making plans for the future. It was discussed that she would never abandon her children intentionally. So this is signs of somebody who would potentially not commit suicide. People that commit suicide start giving away their things. They're obviously not planning what they're going to do in the future if they don't expect there to be a future. It's just those little red flags that you see of someone... When you see someone who actually commits suicide, and you kind of see that after the fact, yeah, they're they're like, oh yeah, they started gifting their f- most prized things away. They st- like remember in the last episode we said she would have left a note. She was kind of like an art artistic type person, a yeah. very theatrical type person. Like it's very common for someone, especially like that with family, to leave some sort of note behind. And she didn't do any of these things that would be considered quote unquote normal for someone who's going to take their own life. And we have re uh, what's it say reforging old familiar bonds and you know what that's interesting to me for a couple of reasons. For in the first episode, we kind of talked about how the obituary doesn't speak of anyone who survived Gwen. Uh, we weren't certain if she had family members that were kind of acting as advocates for her here, and it sounds like she was making efforts or, or working back to. Oh, it sounds close. like she had a lot of friends and family, and they weren't mentioned by the husband in her obituary. Absolutely. Why yeah. not? <laughs> now, uh, Andy, I know it's been a few weeks since our first episode. Um, I know you're a lawyer, so you're very careful. <laughs> uh, it, and before Joe wraps this up, is I'm there, not, we're not close to being wrapped up. I you're know. like rushing me here. No, no, sorry, sorry. Look at look at how we have another whole page. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, do you want to do you want to continue or do you want me to wait? I'll continue here. Okay, go. This is the first time uh, I've. Joe, in a while, that this is your episode. Yes. Yeah. So where I've done the work. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Andy, so is there any? Now that we have a police report and the suspicions we had in the first episode are kind of, <clears throat> I this police report, and we haven't even gotten to the the good part yet. But this doesn't make me any, like my suspicion from the first episode. I'm not any less convinced. Is there any information from your sources, who obviously you can't name, is there any information that you can tell us, um, and I know you've told us stuff offline, but anything you can tell us that when you first were told about this case that you can kind of mention now, now that this police report's out here, that, you know, like, friends and family of her were concerned about something, something nefarious happened, you know, and 
Is there anything you can you can kind of share along those lines? <laughs> well, so I think there, there's a lot of places in this police report that kind of confirm um, things that had been relayed to me or thought processes that we had either discussed in the first episode or, or, or kind of thinking through. And, you know, one of them is this reforging the familial bonds um, uh, statement. And the other is, the you know, these people reaching out with concern for what happened. And really what it, I think it does is kind of, you know, hit hit the nail on the head that, um, there's questions here and people at least notice these questions, um, and, and had concerns about them. And I think one of the, the things that we had talked about, um, in the last episode was, you know, what information had the police looked at? Um, uh, did they know anything after the fact, um, yeah. with the, the marriage, the posts about finding a woman, um, uh, <clears throat> leaving the country. And, and now we know that there's, there's some of that there. And, uh, you know, as Joe's going to continue here, we, the police have some red flags. Yeah, and I mean, he's opening this on the 25th of August. So it's clearly in the back of his head at least, or information's been coming in over time, and maybe it's, again, you talked about like the first 48. Like, this is long past when this occurred, so he's already kind of behind the gun uh, when it comes to investigating this. So it's more like, I have to put this out there, almost like a conscience-type thing. Like, this could be something more than just that. So I'll continue. And this is after it said uh, she would never her abandon her children intentionally. I'm assuming this is words coming from her mother or friends or family. Yeah. Additionally, it was relayed that Gwen's husband, Eric Hasselquist, has a concerning history and has acted strangely since Gwen's death. He was described as an alcoholic. I located local history of a DV-related issue where Eric and alleged, had allegedly assaulted Gwen after he'd been making suicidal ideations while they lived on a JBLM military installation. Eric had this insisted is, that... Oh, yep, stop go ahead. Here quick. Yep, yep. Just, so this, there's a couple of things here that um, just really jump out, and it's uh, more coincidence sort of um, things, but also, you know, it, it affects the bigger picture that we're looking at here. And one, you know, we're talking about um, a domestic violence incident in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that seems to be something that would be concerning at least looking at the the whole circumstances here second um the 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 domestic violence situation happened after eric was uh having suicidal thoughts yeah um which you know i don't know the stats he's not the nice guy he's making himself out to be right and then when we're talking about uh suicidal tendencies between a, a, a couple um both him and her apparently um where her friends are saying that now this isn't gwen She's not suicidal. She would never commit suicide and, and leave her kids. And we now have information that he may have been suicidal or at least in the past struggled struggled with that. Yeah. So, okay, I'll go on. Eric had insisted that Gwen uh, was despondent over what he assured was a positive COVID-19 diagnosis and was therefore driven to suicide. In the days that follows... A family pet died, and Eric was quick to explain on social media that this pet was also taken by COVID-19. Eric began isolating the children from Glenn's family and friends. That is a bombshell to me. He's just blaming everything on COVID. She got COVID, so she committed suicide. And then a pet died, but it was also COVID. But he didn't get COVID, and the kids didn't get COVID. That's pure insanity. That is, again, confirming my bias. You know, I'm, I again, I might be too biased, but we now know that pets don't get in. Or no, there was a couple animals that got COVID. I, I wasn't think, there yeah, there was like a zoo animal that got it. No, I think I think the animals can get COVID, but okay. But this um, was this was 
early COVID. We didn't know that yet. Didn't He's like, yeah, yeah, this pet yeah. died of COVID too. And so did my wife and she committed suicide. Like everything's COVID related. And it's almost like everyone's scared of COVID. I can blame COVID and I'll be okay. Yeah. That's what it seems like to me. Blame COVID on everything that's going wrong. And I'm actually the good guy here. Yeah. And, and the timing on this, I don't, I don't exactly know when the family pet died, but if you recall back to the early days of COVID and tests weren't available for humans, right? So yeah. how are, you know, how are you knowing that, that your dog passed away from having COVID? Well, I, I don't mean, think they know of any pets that have died from COVID. I, I, I haven't seen I anything. Haven't anything. I haven't right. seen any of that. Um, and then the other thing here that, that we discussed uh, in, in part one is that, uh, you know, the theory now, now we know that, that Gwen, you know, was jumped off the bridge or fell off the bridge or was pushed off the bridge. But um, the theory is that she was suicidal after being diagnosed with COVID. And in my mind, this would be massive national media news if that actually... Yeah, if someone committed suicide because they had COVID. Right. And it was one of the first, what, 300 COVID cases in the entire country? Right. Yeah, that'd be huge news. And it's not for some reason. Right. And reading between the lines, I think it it seems clear here that the police are uh, very skeptical of this uh, COVID diagnosis. Yeah. Well, and there's there's mention of uh, social media posts in his report that no longer exists. So he's clear to social media, not just of the video, apparently of an animal's death diagnosis and things like that. That are, it seems like he's deleting damning evidence that makes him look wrong. Because there's certain things that he's left up. There's certain things that have come down. All the things that have come down have been things that could potentially prove that this wasn't a suicide as far as I'm concerned. So Eric continues to post his feelings and memoirs of Gwen on social media. However, on 5.30 of 2020, Eric posted on Instagram that he was ready to meet a new woman. By 6.9 of 20, I was provided a... Oh, do I have the wrong sheet? A YouTube link. Oh, I think I missed a whole thing here. No, that's that's correct. So yeah. um, it says Eric continued to post his feelings and memories of Gwen on social media. Yeah, there it goes. It, however, okay. I, you you have it. Yep, I'm on the right sheet. I had one sheet out of order that I missed some stuff, so I'll go through it in a minute just to make sure I didn't miss anything important. Um, it's a YouTube link, and I checked the YouTube link, and it doesn't work anymore. It's too the video's been made private um, of his marriage to a Kenyan woman that he was said to have met only a couple weeks prior. Subsequent Instagram posts show his Kenyan bride hugging an expensive new Mercedes vehicle. Though unusual, these documented circumstances do not readily identify any overt malicious intent behind Gwen's passing. However, they do present cause for consideration. Those with opinions about the welfare of Gwen's surviving children were encouraged to report their concerns to local CPS. So that was Detective Christensen's last report. Like, he's not convinced that this is not or this is just a suicide as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And this, I think right here, this is almost a summary of our part one of the episode, right? This is saying, hey, there's a lot of questions out there. There's a lot of strange things happening. People are concerned. And if anyone has information, we're encouraging them to come forward. Uh, and that's kind of hitting all the points that we had previously discussed. Yeah, so... Here's the deal. What I'm going to do is, so that that's the whole report. I did miss a couple things, but it was just more in-depth description of what was going on. So for those listening, I'll kind of describe it, but I'm going to share, I put together a little bit of a uh, Google Earth image of kind of what we're looking at here. So I'm going to pull this up. Let me open this thing. 
Can you see my screen? Is it showing? <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. So you'll see kind of going in a Google Earth. So I'm zooming into oh, hold on. We got a Gig Harbor in Washington here. What? There we go. You got it? Yes. Okay. So what we have in Gig Harbor is we start at Gwen and Eric's home. And let's see if I can zoom in. This is all new. This is new tech we're, we're trying out here. So we see their house over here. She apparently left in the middle of the night or apparently and then came back, but she didn't according to Eric, because it doesn't all make sense. Yeah. She drove all the way around Henderson Bay onto Highway 16, it looks like, which ends up going on this bridge. So I've located the the minivan was mid-bridge, mid-span on this bridge. It's a pretty big bridge. Yeah. So, like, yep, you, you could commit suicide off that thing. And then her body was not found until the next day, floated this way right down. Actually, it was pretty far away. She was found here, right here. So March 20th, her body was found right here at, I don't have the, the address in here, but it's basically a, a kayaker on the harbor there. It's like one harbor drive or whatever. Yeah. So those are the three areas. The question really is, can somebody make it from that bridge back to the house? Because arguably the most realistic scenario is that somebody drove from here, their home, up to Highway 16 to the bridge. I'm assuming she was pushed off that bridge, and yeah. then he made his way back to his house. With 60 antidepressants in your system. That's the husband is saying, that those 60 antidepressants are yeah. missing. Well, but we, we do have the video of her leaving the house, or allegedly you know coming back, but now we know... The addresses, you know, the location. We know that it was the bridge. This is a 16-mile drive from her home to yeah. the bridge. And in the video, if you know, if it's a video of anything, it's a video of her being unable to put the key, her key into the lock of her house. Um, this is it, – it, it's kind of unbelievable that, that in that in that situation, in her state at the time, being able to drive 16 miles um, without crashing anything apparently to – Getting to the bridge. Until the bridge. And, uh, okay, I'll play devil's advocate. If she's driving to the bridge to jump off of it because she's so upset she's COVID-19, maybe she crashes there because she's parking the car. Let's assume that that's the case. I just, I don't understand the story of her driving there to commit suicide when she's leaving the home potentially rattled with injuries and then her husband's lying about where she's at. It seems like he knows what's really going on. He's lying to the police, kind of getting caught in a lie, posting social media to almost shore up his story, deleting the things that don't make sense. Like, if she committed suicide, this is pretty clear cut. He can say, we got in a fight. He could even say, I hit her. Uh, I did something wrong, and then she took off, and that's it. That's a very... You know, I'm not saying this is okay at any means. I don't want anyone to think I'm being apologetic towards someone who's an abuser. But if you're going to lie about something and make it make sense, that's a really normal story to say, like, yeah, we got in a fight. I have, I'm an alcoholic. I was drunk. I hit her. She was upset. Uh, she potentially had COVID. She took the van and ran away, and I don't know where she is. Yeah. To me, that's a more believable story. And that's what I'm not seeing here is that I'm not, I'm not getting that. Were you able to see my screen in the stream? I, I turned it off. 
Oh, okay. You turn. Okay. But yeah. you, you flipped the toggle to make yeah. it. Okay. Good. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I just looked down there. I'm like, oh, I hope I didn't just go through that known thought. I think you, Joe, I think you were onto a, a train of thought here before we kind of s- switch gears. So you were saying you're working on the assumption that she's pushed off the bridge and we're 16 miles away. Where, where were you going with that? I just like, it was talked about and I think you'd brought it up that some family member or friend, and we're not going to reveal sources at all. This is, and I want to remind people, like the reason the story got brought to us because you have a personal connection with people who are very close to this. This isn't like fourth hand, fifth hand. There's a connection there. And that I'll leave it at that. But the idea that he was a runner, the idea of the distances seem very doable as far as if we're going on the assumption that he was actually in the van with her or something occurred, they got to the bridge, that occurred, and then he made his way back to the house. I feel like that's a very possible thing because we don't know when the van actually got there. There was a couple hours from when the van was reported to when she, that that ring video occurred, essentially. Right. So I would argue somebody could have left home with her in the van, crashing the wall if they're fighting. She gets pushed off the bridge, and that person makes it back home by on foot, potentially, in the time that when the PD showed up on scene, it actually contacted Eric. I think that is very plausible. I, I think that, you know, it, I tend to agree with that sort of a theory. And we what we know here is that he was a runner. There's a lot of posts online about him uh, being a runner, running marathons. Um, and, and really the situation is, you know, we have these theories. We have three or four theories on stories that happened either from him directly or from the police report. And, um, you look at what, what would make sense here. And so if we believe Demetrius's story that there's a third person in, in the vehicle, well, what happened to that third person, right? And, you know, maybe there's DOT footage that can show this, but you really, if you're kind of positing options here, the, that person needed to leave the bridge. The, the question point. I have too is though, um, what is his motivation to say there is a third person? You know, like we've talked that he was an alcoholic, he had mental issues, maybe drug addict, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the motivation for him to say there's a third person even in the car? I mean, I would argue there's um, motivation to not say there's another person. If you're trying to go and say, oh, she gifted me this car, it was just yeah. her or me, like saying there's another person there would just muddy the waters for that individual. Now, again, we can't assume he was thinking clearly. And the other question is, so, if there's a third person in the car, it, you know, if I'm a third person in a car and the car is being carjacked i'm gonna maybe i'm gonna try and stop it maybe not but that just seems um it it seems like a a a detail of the story that i don't understand why someone even a a drug addict or an alcoholic or someone with mental issues would make that up like why would they even think that like what their story already is crazy enough that this lady drove out onto this bridge crashed her car was gonna jump off and commit suicide and like just gifted her car to him yeah like and and there was a third person in the car. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's to me. there's no benefit to saying that last part. There's yeah, no there's, there's there's no reason to include that. If in, you're a crazy person, why would you just make up there's more people? In my there? head, that I I feel like Demetrius was telling the truth. Like there oh, and was that's, that's where you get those little nuggets of truth that we talk about. Like those <laughs> yeah. little like like he could be like a mental page. Like we've all interacted with homeless people and they'll say anything to get like what they want. But there's certain things that are unnecessary to lie about. Yeah. And that's where you find those little nuggets of truth in there. And that's, I agree with you on that. Like, there's no reason to just say, oh, I think there was, there was another person there. I didn't get a good look at him, yeah. but 
There's no reason to say that. And why would he? Yeah, why would he even say that? So, like to me, uh, that little nugget of information in the police report that we talked about earlier, where he mentioned a third person in the car, I feel like he's telling the truth because a there he's already telling a crazy story about the car, like getting gifted to him. There's no motivation for him to like. I don't. I'm trying to run through all the different angles of why you would say there's a third person in the car and. None of them get me to, I'm not going to get arrested for stealing a car. Yeah. So I don't know why he would even bring that up. If anything, a moment of honesty and it just slipped when he said, hey, there was a third person in the car. Yeah. Like that seems more plausible than him making it up for some unknown reason. So, well, and the professional in the the page opened up a whole nother report late months later because he's getting reports from family members saying that loved ones and friends are throwing shade on this whole story and something's not sitting right with him. Yeah. Like the only thing, like, yeah, we got a medicals report that says, oh, it was suicide, but they're going off of the information they have. Like she, I'm, if she got pushed off a bridge, like, yeah, that would kill her. So if right. your whole story is she took these benzos, she was just like distraught and jumped. That's a normal story. As an ME, if you get a report, and you're like, yeah, that's birth of, yeah, she died from the fall and it was probably a suicide. Yeah. Not knowing all the details or even the information later. So I don't even put like blame on like, oh, he ruled it a suicide. I look at that as just, yeah, she died from a fall off the bridge. Yeah. But right. did she jump off the bridge? I don't think so. Well, he, the third person thing is interesting to me because the report reads that it, this is almost written off. I mean, there's no description provided. Maybe, and maybe Demetrius wasn't able to do that, but why, why wasn't this kind of a bigger piece of the, the puzzle that they're looking at? You know, it, we we kind of backed into this story, so we knew that she had passed away and that it was, uh, you know, purportedly suicide. Uh, but the police show up at the scene of the accident. The owner of a vehicle is missing. There's some person reaching into the vehicle. He says there was a third person in the car, uh, that seems like a very <clears throat> unique set of circumstances that would spur some, you know, more follow up than what we see on that on that third person. So, curious. And, and is a COVID nineteen diagnosis really the trigger that made her commit suicide? Like that's kind of what's getting. Like that's the reason we're being told she jumped off of a bridge because she was diagnosed with COVID nineteen after after purportedly being released from the hospital so yes right like we're working under assumption that if she was ill she would have been inpatient at the hospital um so well and 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 then a family pet dies a few weeks later and then the husband says well that family pet died of COVID-19 also but like he never got COVID-19 the kids never got COVID-19 like that's where like were they even testing pets Back then. No. I, I, can they test pets now? I'm no. Not, I and, and again, then that social media post was deleted because I never saw that. I'm getting that from this police report. I never saw that post. Right. I never saw this that. This is either. the detective saying he saw that on social media. Yeah. And then that was subsequently removed probably because people are questioning it. It seems like anytime there's a post and people started questioning, that post was deleted. Now you caught an image of it. He caught an image of it. But apparently there was more stuff going on there. And then again, we have to look at the whole background. All of a sudden there's this Kenyan woman that appears out of nowhere. Then they're married all of a sudden. He's buying her new car. And then all of a sudden he's pissed at America and leaving the country. Right. Like when you piece all of it, uh, honestly, on a one-to-one level, when you look at it, it seems shady. When you look at the whole picture, it's even worse. And that's kind of what's getting me is none of this makes sense at all. As far as 
she committed suicide because of COVID-19. It's, it's, she was an inconvenient person in the way of what he wanted to do. And he took advantage of the COVID pandemic and the crisis that was happening to basically get away with murder. That is like my theory and assumption right now. And I think the, the, the police report, this last, uh, this last entry <laughs> there gets, you know, half the way there or a quarter of the way there. And what it's saying is, yes, there's a lot of weird things going on here. There's a lot of questions, but these alone are not enough to, you know, to change kind of the determination that's been made. If there's another piece of the puzzle that's out there, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, a, a different story, I think. Yeah. And this is where I, I don't, I don't think this is done because the one open-ended question is where is Eric Hasselquist? Because the last post, social media post I saw is he's leaving the country. And people are like, who's got your kids? Where are your kids? What's happening? What's going on? We don't know any of the information right now. And he was, uh, he was really active on social media up until a point where he just is completely uh, He was overactive showing how happy he was and how great it was and how sad they are that his wife's gone and how he's moving on and his kids are so for it and everything like that. And I just call bull on all of that. I do. <laughs> I do. I have, I have kids around the age of those kids and they would not be acting that way. Yeah. And, and one thing I want to flag too, on you say this is not done. We, we have, we saw on the social media posts that people are ask, asking questions, you know, what, what happened? Uh, I heard one thing here and another thing here. Um, oh, it seems quick that you're married. Uh, and, you know, that was quick. How'd you meet? Uh, those sort of comments. And now we have a police report saying that multiple people, friends, family, citizens have reached out. You know, it, there's people out there that have information, personal information that, uh, that can kind of maybe provide some answers here that uh, maybe have value or could, could expand on some of these kind of uh, theories that we're positing. Yeah, I, I think... Uh um, I think it's interesting to, to think that the comments before we were able to get the police report and we're, I think we're going to do some more FOIA requests to get the, the medical examiner's report. I think I'm going to try a FOIA request with the department of transportation in, um, in Washington to see if, if there was any kind of investigation going on, they should still have that footage. But part of me thinks that they don't have that footage because there's, there's two scenarios that could have happened here is, she was murdered by somebody, and this police report that we have would have said this is an ongoing investigation. We may have not even gotten the police report if it was an ongoing investigation. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other scenario is they were treating it like a suicide before all of the context of what happened occurred, the social media posts, and very strange. And we, I, we, we got emailed by some people that were kind of hitting on us for – literally kind of coming down on Eric hard for these posts that he, he, you know, like they were kind of saying like, well, you don't know what's going on with him. Like blah, 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 blah. And that's I think fair. It's fair. I mean, we were kind of coming at it from like our perspective. I was coming at it hard. I think he did. Like it. <laughs> if any of our wives died by suicide, I probably wouldn't be back out in the dating scene within a month or two or, or be married in three months. Like, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that's where, I don't know what that situation is like. Assuming that he's not lying, I don't yeah. know what that situation is like. And I feel like... But I have a pretty good idea yeah. of how it would be acting in the middle of that situation, and it's nothing like he was doing. I can guarantee you that. I feel like most... Maybe we'll take heat for this comment, but most normal people would react the way we described it. Like, 
It's 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 like one of my biggest nightmares. I've had nightmares where I've lost a child or like lost yeah. my wife, and I wake up upset, and yeah. it's not real. Yeah, I've wicked. I've woken up like shaking, like I like. I've had that about winning the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> God, <laughs> but like seriously, I've woken up some nights where like I had such a realistic dream. I thought one of my kids had died, or like yeah. Cassie had died, and I was like on the verge of tears, like panicking. And even after I saw, like, okay, this isn't real, like I still couldn't calm down. I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. Yeah, like I couldn't calm down, and it didn't happen to me. Yeah. So now you're in a situation where it actually happened. I wouldn't be visibly unfazed. Now, okay, devil's advocate. Maybe, again, I haven't experienced it. Thank God. I hope people don't ever have to go through that. Maybe it was so shocking that you get those people that, like, literally just go numb. Like, maybe he can't process it. Maybe, legitimately, she committed suicide because she thought she COVID-19, and he's acting weird because that's how he processes this stuff, and he just he just froze So we have can't a, do it. We have a comment from a listener Okay, I'm going to put up on the screen. Um Kind of going along these lines, I think, of what... Oh, is this Adam Osborne? Yeah, so... Um, uh, read it out for the just the listeners Oh, yeah, only. I forget. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> a listener on YouTube, Adam, he writes, uh, I think people incriminate themselves by their lack of interest in finding the truth. How could this guy be satisfied with COVID suicide? Wouldn't you want more answers? I completely agree. Yeah. 100% so agree. Thank you, Adam, for the, uh, the comment. Yeah, ab- um, and that, that's kind of my whole thing is, like, mm, no. Like, she had that visible injury in her hand. I feel like there's some domestic thing going on. Yeah. Uh, maybe she found out about this Kenyan woman. Yeah. And this is, like, to me, this is, and I got flack for saying it was the woman's fault. Someone said it couldn't be, like, I agree. It's not, like, she caused him to do it. This is him. This is his decision. He was married. He's in a committed relationship. If he chose to go find something else, this is his fault. Yeah. If this other woman helped convince it, whatever, it's still his fault he initiated. But my whole thing is he was after this other thing, and his wife found out maybe. They got in an argument. Maybe a physical altercation occurred. COVID's happening. He like, passionate thing occurs. <clears throat> They go to a bridge. He pushes her off. All this stuff's going down. Now, that, that that's kind of where I'm at right now. That that to me makes sense based on how he acts after the fact. Yeah, I, I don't know. So de- devil's advocate here is one. You know, you could the good lawyer. <laughs> yes. Nope. We we need that because I I'm biased. I'm su- I'll, I'll admit I'm trying not to be, but I'm so biased. I think he's a hundred percent guilty of this. I think it's his fault. I think he did it. So. I, if you can convince me otherwise, I will admit I'm wrong. But this is Joe's opinion. It's my opinion that that he is 100% guilty and <laughs> murdered his wife. And uh, So, you know, you look at reasonings behind all this, and if you're operating under a theory that she committed suicide, it could be that, um, that you know, their marriage was in trouble. That could be a motivating fact for, for suicidal thoughts or suicidal tendencies. He could already have met this Kenyan woman, I've been planning to leave for this Kenyan woman. So, you know, that would explain some of the, like, unfazed by your wife missing, the car being stolen. Um, But even when you go down that line of thought, you have this flurry of social media activity afterwards that uh, just none of it really makes sense. None of it is consistent. None of it adds up. Um, How are you unfazed in the moment and then distraught on social media you know, it, he's very rapidly trying to get over this or to convince the world that he's getting over it just fine. If you can find some of those pictures, I couldn't find them on Facebook. If you want to try Did I not make them, the album? Put them on, on the uh, 
the stream yeah, I'll, here. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, while you're doing that, I, just curiosity, curiosity um, have your sources, did your sources listen to our first episode or have you talked to them since? I, I have, and they did listen to the first episode. Yes. Any, just out of curiosity, did they... <laughs> feedback. <laughs> feedback on it? Did they, uh, did they kind of agree with our assumptions? Did they, did it bring up more questions for them or... Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the first episode was really, you know, we hit all kind of the facts that were out there and, and opened the questions up. And I think, you know, there was agreement there uh, across the board. I think that some of the the thoughts or concerns that they had have been, have come to light in this police report. And, you know, it's it, people being concerned about what was going on, the reestablishment of familial relationships, um, you know, concerns that maybe Eric had suicidal thoughts or at least suicidal thoughts in the past and yeah and really i think the, the bombshell the biggest bombshell in this police report is that last entry which kind of confirms everything that we said in part one you know there's a lot of questions out there and it doesn't quite add up uh, so i think that's where you know where we're at uh, a lot of questions answered a lot more remaining and uh you know we're on the right track at least or the police think we are yeah i think um I think next steps, because this kind of seems like an ongoing thing. We're going to keep bringing up a couple every. Yeah, couple we got to keep getting more information. We can't. I don't. We're, here's the deal. I don't want to let it go because I feel like there's a dude getting away with murder, and his poor kids are involved. And it's if he's not, I want to know too because I will be the first person to come on here and be like, I was entirely wrong. <laughs> he went crazy because this traumatic thing happened, and what he did was weird. It didn't make sense. Yeah. But this is his way of acting to a completely abnormal situation that not a lot of people have to go through. Not a lot of people go through this scenario. So maybe it was completely legit. She freaked out because of COVID thought, I think you brought it up, Mike. You said, what if she freaked out because of COVID and was afraid of getting her kids sick or her husband sick and she took her own life. The weird thing about that is um, like we documented in the first episode on uh, Gwen is she was very active in social media around COVID. And um, you would just assume that, someone who's very active in, you know, talking about COVID, uh, if they contracted COVID early on, like you're one of the first people to get COVID, you would have, even if you were like really worried and, you know, stuff like that, I think you would, you would talk about that on Twitter. She was very active on Twitter. She would have made, she would have tweeted something out like, I got COVID, uh, you know, let you guys know how it goes or, you know, something like that. And it was, there was nothing from her saying that she had COVID. Yeah. So we don't even know. It's even only the, the husband is saying it. Even the police report doesn't. Uh, they obviously, because I, I really don't think at any point this was a criminal investigation because they didn't. Yeah, they didn't reach out to the hospital. They didn't go to the hospital. And the hospital's and, not going to tell us because they shouldn't. Well, if I'm, we call I, them and ask, it's, I, it's a HIPAA violation. I'm they guessing, can't say it. I'm guessing the only way the police department could get record of her even going to get tested would be by a court order, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they could issue a, a subpoena and get that information. That, yeah. That's probably a, a pretty regular thing. Would they do criminal. that in a suicide investigation? Well, probably not. So, and I, I don't, I don't think so. Not if what, they think it's just a suicide, yeah. and like, yep, she yeah. died suicide. Like, there's no reason to spend department resources on this if we yeah. think it's a suicide. And we we've talked about some absences from the police report. You know, one is the footage of of the bridge. The other one that jumps out to me is there. There's no talk about speaking with the kids. Um, and I understood that, you know, if it's 12, uh, 53 at night when they first contact Eric, but, uh, the you story would think about that would be a big part of the investigation, even a suicide, just to get statements. Like, did you notice anything I don't know. weird going on at home? I don't know. I don't know if it would. 
If it if it's if they committed suicide, I mean, this is too bad. Coming like, from someone who's not law enforcement or yeah. a detective, if I was, I think, I think I might just want to get a statement. I mean, but what if it's like the hundredth suicide you've been on, and they're all very similar? You're just jaded, yeah. You're just well, like, not even jaded, but like. It's kind of like the idea of like we think of this stuff as like through the Hollywood lens of like there's something more there's something more sinister when you're like like I said I wasn't a cop but I went to a lot of these types of calls with police when you're an EMT and I went on thousands of calls and they're very clear cut bore not boring but like very straightforward there's no mystery to any of it I never even gone on a call that was mysterious yeah ever in my I've only been on for four years um, but I went on a lot of medical calls with cops or calls where like drugs were involved. And there's not mystery. It's just, it's very clear cut and straightforward. Otherwise this stuff would be happening all the time. So like if you have a body wash up, a reported missing person, a story that says, yeah, she's on these drugs. She has this history. That sounds like a normal suicide. It's only until you start digging in. And that's where I feel like this detective probably initially, again, he doesn't know what we know at the time. Yeah. All he knows is there's a missing person. There's a body that matches the report. There's a car crash on the bridge. Uh, the side swipe, like there's a drunk guy who said something, but like, yeah, it kind of sounds like she jumped off the bridge and she's suicidal. And unfortunately that happens. Yeah. And then all of a sudden over time, he's getting reports from fans and family and then he starts piecing this stuff together and then starting to not make sense. But so much time has passed. Do we have those videos anymore? No, they've been deleted. Yeah. Do we like, it's been ruled a suicide. How much time do I spend on this? Like I've probably got other things to work on. Not that they're not more important, but you're a detective murders. Yeah. If you're a detective and you're working like 10 other murder cases. Yeah. Like, especially during COVID, like did it slip through the cracks? They want to, they want to get this off their board. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If no one's pushing for answers. Right. And that, I think that's the key thing, right? It, it, everything ties up for suicide and we have no, nothing pushing for answers. And we know I've got a question. Ask it. Yeah. I've got an idea. Do we think we could reach out to the actual detective and see if Oh, I'm already to gonna try and yeah, I'll see I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna email him and see if 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 anything, if he's not willing to come on the air just to like get a response. Honestly, if this case is closed and it's officially closed, I don't understand why he wouldn't be able to talk about it. Maybe other than the fact that he doesn't want to jeopardize his yeah. job and the, the police department he well, works for. And and actually Adam made a great point, kind of what you said. I just threw it up on the board. It says, in so many of the cases you do on your show, the spouse is almost always the one pushing for investigation of foul play. Yeah. That is a great point. Because we have so many cases where it looks clear cut and they the the spouse or the family member is not satisfied ever. I will I will say this because cut you off. Uh, I posted uh, to get people to start chatting in the the uh, the chats for a free hat. Adam's the front runner. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. No, but I mean, that's that's a great point because we deal with ones that are like very clear cut and the family's like, no, I'm not accepting that because that's to me a normal response. Like, you just not like, no, that can't be the case. That can't be it. Like, that's my, that's someone I love. That's somebody that like, that can't be it. Even if it's clear cut, it's like, no, sorry, it is. He gave up instantly. Within several hours, like, I guess she's dead. I guess it's all over. I better start looking for a new wife. No. I mean, sorry, it, that's that's too fast. That's, yeah. that, no, that's uh, not normal. A lot of our cases, almost all of our cases, this is a very unusual episode, the two episodes we've done now because. <laughs> he, he said, ha ha, woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> this is the uh, the benefit of uh, getting on uh, a podcast live stream when they just start doing it and no one knows they're live streaming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, no, it, this is a very unusual case for this podcast. Joe and I always talk about people that have gone missing in the wilderness under weird uh, circumstances like Aaron Hedges, the guy we just talked about a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. And the commonality you see in all those cases is the family is usually out in the field yeah. with searchers. They, they, they'll they travel to wherever they went missing. They'll spend the entire time the search is going on looking for them. They're in the woods looking. They're putting flyers up all over it. Like, they're doing everything they possibly can, humanly possible. Look at Paul Miller, our second episode. Yeah. His sister, we talked to her, we emailed her, like, yep. years later, still going. Like, they, it's uh, let's argue her searches a year later completely yeah. fruitless. Arvin Nelson. They're completely pointless like in, if if you're thinking logically. Yeah. But like that's her brother. Yeah. She can't do nothing. Well, even like friends of people, let's say Arvin Nelson. We uh we interviewed his friends. Yeah. Um and old high school friends. He he went missing uh, uh, Andy, you're probably not familiar with this case, but this guy went missing in Big Sur in California and um I think over a decade ago and his friends to this day still will go to the area where he went missing every year, kind of like a celebration of his life. And they, mm-hmm. they do the hike that he went missing on. And, you know, they still kind of looking for him. And they're not over it. They're not over it. Like, and they aren't, it's not their husband. Yeah. I think that has to be a pretty normal response to. I would yeah. say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not like she's missing an hour later. I guess she's gone. That's too bad. Like, he's still technically, technically didn't know what happened to her when he gave up. The body wasn't found till what, six hours later? Yeah. Unless he already knew what happened to her. And that's kind of what's pointing me in the direction is like, he's given up on it. What do they talk about? You know, this is another Hollywood thing. It's like, if you catch somebody, if you catch a bunch of people for a murder, whoever's sleeping is the one who probably did it because they know they've like been caught. Versus like, if you didn't do it, you're rattled. Like, I didn't kill this person. I didn't kill this person. Yeah. He's like, yeah, she must have not been up for the sunrise. Say, It's like, because you already know she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's You don't think she's missing anymore because you killed her. Yeah. You pushed her off that bridge. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a long way of us saying that we find it unusual that he was uh, not really shaken up by her disappearance and then actual suicide. And then literally marrying another woman three months later. Yeah. I think uh, this... We didn't know half the information, or th- we didn't know three quarters of the information that we know now in the police report. I think this just confirms it even more. And yeah, I want to go back to one thing too. Sorry, I no, no, go ahead. Off. So uh, we we talked about this in the first episode, kind of at length. But now we have the police report. We know what we know, and the video that he posts of her the ring the ring doorbell video. Um, and there's a comment from a woman that says, so sorry for your loss. I've been following your story. Pardon me for asking, but in one post it was said she died from COVID-19 and another she was found in the in Puget Sound. Just wanted to clarify with all that's going on with the virus. Again, I'm so sorry for your family's loss. Here's the response directly from Eric. This is Eric. She left in the night while I was sleeping, returning from an out-of-state business trip, flying with multiple connections. From what the authorities have told me, I brought it home and she caught it. There's no mention of this in the police report. Mm-hmm. What authorities are, are we, we talking about uh, saying that you brought it home and she got COVID from you? Um, the police don't relay that information. We have nothing from the hospital. Um, it follows up. The kids and I have been isolating, and there are not enough tests since for us since we presented mild symptoms. Uh, you know, We have no mention of him having COVID other than this one post. 
Um, Gwen had autoimmune disease and lung disease, which made her more susceptible. That is why I was scared to go on my last trip and then canceled all work trips until stuff goes away. Here's another question out there is, you know, when was the work trip? What connections were being flown? Um, you know, how does this COVID transfer from, from Eric traveling for business to Gwen and, and ultimately lead to suicide? And, and, you know, summing up kind of the after death uh, comments, it, it, the post ends with, the kids and I are feeling better and should be free to roam around soon. That's why I haven't been running around the neighborhood for the last several days. Yeah, I, I think that's all BS. I do. I do. Like I said, I'm biased, but he's like putting on theater. He's putting on theater because if he actually felt that way, he's not actively searching for another spouse. Like I, again, I'm different than Eric. I'm different than everyone else. I don't know if, I mean, especially a few months later, I'm not remarrying. First of all, I honestly don't know if I'd ever remarry. Like I'm, I'm 36. Like I have six kids. Like You're getting old. Yeah. Well, well. As far as like starting a whole new thing with a whole other person, like I would probably just focus on my kids and like go like. You'd be out clubbing the next month. No, I'm kidding. No. But like, but that's the thing. That's that's kind of to your point though, Mike. Like you say that like as a joke, but reality is like. He kind of is out clubbing like a few weeks later. Like, I need to, like, my kids are telling me to meet other people. I need to go to, your kids are 12. They're yeah. still really sad their mom has died. Or you're putting stuff in their head like, I need another one, I need another woman to get them on board. And then all of a sudden you meet this person that's perfect for you. You get married to them. You're buying her all this great stuff. And then you're leaving the country all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, you just don't care about your kids anymore. Like what, what's going on? And even his friends and family in the Facebook post, like we looked like at the people who are asking those questions, they have like one follower that is kind of related to him. Like these are people that know that family well. And like, what's happening? This is weird. This is not normal behavior. And he's just ghosts. So, uh, to kind of, what's the extradition policy in like Tanzania? (laughs) <laughs> I have no clue. I never once in my life thought about. You never that. thought about like what Tanz- Tanzania does to extradite, you know, no. potential criminals to the United States. Uh, so to kind of because we this is this is probably the longest podcast episode we've ever done. Um, Adam wrote, "No way! If I lose my wife, I'm never doing the dating thing ever again." <laughs> Adam is our super chat user for this yeah. podcast. Um, no, I think to kind of uh, put a, a pin in this one and kind of slowly start to wrap it up because yeah we should we should we've been go- this is our longest podcast ever yeah this andy is, you're here for our I first like guest it. and our longest yeah, podcast no. um i think next steps what do, what do we do next to uh, so in my head i think there's a couple things uh i think we reach out to the detectives in the police report i would yes i would contact all of them yeah and i i think probably your best yeah trooper Knox, detective christensen get I, out to all those and be like hey what was your read what was like see if they can come on the show i think your best bet would be to reach out to the police department's media contact person first sure i think they if if they to not step on toes well no i mean they if 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 you don't get anywhere with them the, the detectives aren't going to talk to you i think they they would pro- if they pass this on to the detectives i think we can assume it's safe that they'll talk to us i think we need to file additional FOIA requests with the fire department, with the coroner's office. Um, we could try. The, I, is there a name of the actual hospital, St. Anthony's? Was it? Yeah. Uh, I let me see. St. Anthony's. Yep. 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 I don't know what the the law is around medical records and FOIA requests, but it, it's worth a shot. 
Yeah, HIPAA says they can't reveal stuff, but like it's been weird with COVID. I think it's worth a shot. Is there any kind of conflict of interest when the, the person's deceased? Well, here's the deal. The idea is medical information is protected, meaning I can't go to the hospital. Like the whole idea is like, imagine you're the CEO of a major company. Yeah. And you getting sick could like tank a stock. You know, that's like important person. Like I can't be like, oh, Bill Gates is in the hospital for this thing. And then Microsoft dies down. The whole idea is like, and also a normal person, like if you get AIDS, you don't want people to know. Yeah. Like the hospital would be like, oh yeah, they're in here for AIDS program. Like, no, it's private information. Yeah. That's why it was so weird with COVID. They're kind of like, this person's got COVID. That person's got COVID. Show me your results. Like, But the, 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 the dichotomy of that is like you could potentially get a coroner's report, which might be public information. Well, and that's what's weird. I wonder if they can like pick that up in the medical examiner report to be like, oh yeah, they were COVID positive. So, which nobody, the only person that has ever mentioned a COVID diagnosis has been Eric Hasselquist. There's been no confirmation that he, their children, or her, or his pet that died actually had COVID-19. This is all COVID-19 talk so far. Again, we, we haven't seen any more documents. But so far, the only data we have that there's been COVID-19 involved in this at all is her husband saying it was. Yeah. That is it. So I think you guys, I think you kind of hit it. I, I, I mean... Uh, Hospitals, you know, likely some sort of a private entity. There's HIPAA. You're probably not going to get records without like an authorization from without a, a court order or, 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 or court order or yeah. subpoena. But uh, you know, the court, the medical examiner's office, the coroner's report might shed some light on you know whether or not there was a positive COVID diagnosis. And you know, the other thing that uh, that I would suggest uh, it's your show, so uh, you don't need to take it. But we have all these comments of people that are concerned. We know who they are on social Reach media. They might have like some information going. that, yeah. you know, kind <laughs> of pieces together some of these questions that we have. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great idea. I think uh, potentially maybe a not, you know, reaching out to them and giving them the, the guarantee that they'll remain anonymous and maybe let us know what they know. Yeah, we could pre-record and I could, like, modify their voice. Or not even, like, necessarily if they, they're not even comfortable doing that. Yeah, just if they want to give a statement give and a we can statement. relay it. And we can, you know, guarantee, you know, we can make a guarantee that we're not going to release their identity. Yeah. And that, I would say that goes for anybody in Gig Harbor that might know anything. Like if you want to feed us information anonymously, um, I can tell you I have a ton of information on cases that I have not shared that are pretty damning that I refuse to share, you know, not to like play on my journalistic integrity because we're just a <laughs> podcast, but like I'm a man of my word. Like I, like there's a couple things that I've learned from people that would have been really good show material that I have not shared because they asked me not to. Yeah. So like, if you want to come anonymously, tell me some things, um, tell it and feel free to tell us the full story and say, I don't want you to include this. Mike and I will leave it out. Yeah. Like I, I don't care about the show as much as just, I would like to get answers. And even if I know personally, great. Well, um, this is for me, this is kind of like, so a lot of the cases we do, it's tough to like create a connection with it. Cause some of them happened so long ago and, um, you know, we're talking about people we have no connection with, but now because of, because of you here, who has a connection with some people close to her, I kind of feel like we're going down the rabbit hole now, and I kind of want to see this through to the end. And Oh, I definitely need to, like, well, because um, I, I would love to be proven wrong. I really, I don't like doing it, but it's just so damn obvious, and the idea of someone getting away with something like this, um, because I have kids, yeah. like, if something like that happened, I would want someone to to fight for me and be an advocate. I think you said in the last episode, like there's no one advocating for this except for friends and family. It's kind of going nowhere. So we have, I wouldn't argue the responsibility, but we have reach now. 
more so than when we first started this podcast. We have 19,000 people on Facebook. Like, if there's some foul play here, even if he's left the country or whatever, if we could, like, open it up, get it, and he did do it, shine light on it to the point where, like, you know, maybe he's not going to get punished, but you can't come back to this country anymore. Like, I don't know who that helps, but it'll be like, okay, at least one less injustice went completely unnoticed. Fine. Yeah. I mean, e- either way, no matter what happened, I think there's there's questions out there, and um, you know, the family, the friends, the the kids are deserving of answers to those questions. Yeah, and and that's I would love to know that too. If there's people close to, to the family, to the yeah, kids. where are the kids? Yeah. Where is he still out of the country? Last the last post I saw is he's leaving the country. Is he gone? Is he not even in the United States anymore? Is he in Kenya or Tanzania or wherever the heck they were going? Yeah. Like, yeah. So there's a lot more questions. I think uh, I think we've got some more homework to do, and yes. um, a lot of FOIA requests. I I really do think that uh, Joe or myself should reach out to local uh, yeah we're local news sure. media in uh, th- that area. I think uh, this feels like one of those stories that like your your local like network news like ABC or NBC like. It's something they would. Yeah, if we uh, can get someone in Gig Harbor to run a story, so like or Tacoma, people, whatever the, the yeah. Tacoma like NBC station, or you know, like like hey, you know, we're we're kind of you know peeling the onion back on this this case of this lady that you know allegedly committed suicide, and nothing nothing's adding up. You know, could you, you know, you we have you, quite a few listeners in Gig Harbor. Do we really? That name has come up at least twice with separate. There's a lady who messages on Facebook that lives there, like yeah. the Washington area, because it's. A small little city, but it's near all the other stuff. So, like, yeah, like Tacoma is a pretty big town. Yeah, city. we have yeah. listeners in that area. So, if they hear this, like, if you know anything, like, we we've gotten a lot and, more from a lot less people. And if you happen to work in local news media, uh, <laughs> if you happen to be a news anchor in Tacoma, Gig Harbor, <laughs> please contact us. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think uh, I think yeah, we're gonna. I think we should reach out to the the other agencies involved in this. I think trying to maybe get anonymous statements from other people who commented on these uh, social media posts. And yeah, I think maybe reaching out to local news media to try to garner more at this, at this point, I'm less interested about future podcast episodes and more interested in like trying to solve, solve this case. Now it I'm kind of feels in like both solving it for <laughs> future podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. episodes. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm always going to be honest. I think this is good for the podcast, but it'll also actually help somebody. If we can do both, great. Yeah, so I think uh, uh, we're going to have a little hiatus here. Maybe Joe might be posting a couple I'll, things. I'll, I'll throw some stuff together. I need to I need to pick up the slack on my end. I've been bad. <laughs> Mike, you've been doing everything. It's okay. All right, so thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate you all for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Buy and Twitter. Swag. Buy our swag. <laughs> uh, we do have the YouTube channel if you're listening live now. That's great, but you can subscribe there. Uh, if you'd like to support us monetarily, visit our Facebook store. Uh, buy some swag, as Mike said. We can go to our website. Um, YouTube, now you can sign up, right? Is it like subscribe on YouTube? That we have bene- a membership on YouTube. Um, so that benefits us Yes. Financially, so that can help us too, and then you'll get exclusive stuff through there. Yep. Yep. Uh, And just always remember, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thank you, and we will see you all next time.